Pursuit of Podcast, a purely guest-centric show focusing on people and organizations that advance positive change. Positivity can be anywhere, and in a time of vast discord, the pursuit of is finding those who champion its causes loudest. Join us as we sit and learn about the pursuits of local leaders in their community. Let's go. Hello, good people, and welcome to the Pursuit of Podcast, where it's truly not us, it's you. I'm Ryan Buck, Artist Development, New Leonard Media, and with me, as always, is the boss, Mark Wilson, President, New Leonard Media. Hey, Ryan. Hey, how are you? I'm doing really well. It's beautiful out. It bro. is cutting up. That's enough of that. With us today is Julie Clark, Executive Director, Tart Trails. Julie, thank you for being here. It is my pleasure. Thanks thank for you. having me. Well, I'm going to start by saying I am a little bit starstruck. Because in researching this particular, and I probably should have said this off mic, but I'm just trying. In researching this podcast, your passion for the Tart Trails and your charisma, coupled with the fact that probably my favorite thing about living here are the Tart Trails. Yay! Truly. And so I'm a little bit starstruck because of what you've done. And so thank you really for being here. But looking back, most of your early career was spent in North Carolina. But you grew up in Indiana, is that is that true? You know, for the, yeah, I did. I I was an Air Force brat for a while. So, but most of my childhood is Indiana based. Yeah, Lafayette, so Purdue University, Lafayette. other okay. side of the river. That's a that's a thing. There's a a team there, right? The Boilermakers are Boiler on the other, but that's the other side of the river. Not a sports guy, so sorry, listeners who I've offended. But you moved to Traverse City specifically for this role. Is that right? I did. I Yeah. We were in North Carolina. I was loving it. My husband wasn't. So we were looking around and the job at Tarte came up and I applied and well, it was a long and awesome process, but yeah, it got me up here and it was pretty cool. Well, you just opened the door for a question that I had later, but I'm going to ask it now. What was the interview process for this position? Because you'd think it was maybe like hand in hand walking through the woods but was it a boardroom, like an austere boardroom with suits looking at you? It was a lot of things. It was long. I had to fly up twice. My first meeting was a 7 a.m., I think, meeting. Um, yeah, brutal. I don't do mornings. So I had to really up my game. And it was. We were in the on the second floor of the Bank of Northern Michigan at the time. Now it's the Haggerty Building there across from the post office. But it was a table full of gentlemen around a banking table. There was one woman there, and she was the HR person, Kate Green, whom I adore and work with today. But yeah, I was surrounded by a table of very inquisitive, very smart, and well-prepared men, including the executive director, Bob Otwell, on my right. It was an intense process, and it went all day. That was my intro, is a many, many hour around that board table interview session and then a lot of walking and talking pleasant illusion shattered of you hand in hand with people walking along the tart trail we did that oh you did do that later no hand in hand (laughs) um they did not no none of that there was a party involved and this is how i knew that i was going to love this board i was they put me up at the park place which i believe you are very familiar with yeah i am and they were like hey you should come down for drinks and i thought oh I like these people. I'm in. <laughs> Did you feel like it was a trap of any sort or they're trying to 
gauge how you are socially as well? You know, the pieces of advice I got before I left North Carolina, my boss at the time, he's like, if they ask you to go to drinks, don't do it. Don't do it. I was like, oh, okay. Interesting. And then I did it because it was great and they were wonderful. Wow. And they had me at hello. They were amazing. Wow. That's great. I wonder well, what he was worried about. Oh, it was the South, and I was a young woman at the time. I was thinking his experience with her. No. Oh, he wasn't worried that you would say something, you'd get a little toasty and say something to... No, I think it was a Southern (laughs) gentleman thing, where he just, he was very, it was a different, I was called ma'am or little missy a lot when I worked in the South. (laughs) Little miss. Little um, missy. Girl. So That's, those are words of disrespect up here. Wow. It would be weird now to hear that. Well, but your yeah, your but... previous experience was almost exclusively planning and development, and mm-hmm. you'd been a director in this kind of capacity mm-hmm. before. Government. Mm-hmm. Government. Mm-hmm. Did you feel well-prepared when you arrived here, and what was it about Traverse City that lured you? Uh, it's funny, because I knew about Traverse City. Before I came up, I worked with Mark Vanderclip, who was at Corbin Design for a long time. And they did our wayfinding signage down there. We had hired them to do wayfinding. So I knew of Trevor City and used to make fun of it because he'd call in May and he's like, oh, we're going to go skiing. We were like, that's terrible. (laughs) That's entirely possible, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. I think I may be exaggerating, but it felt like he said that in May. Stranger things have happened. Yeah, that is true. I believe we skied a couple Aprils ago in like late April. Oh, of course. And it snowed like the June of 1996. It snowed up here. I'm so glad I was not here in June of 1990. (laughs) I would never have come here. So what hooked me was the town immediately. The story that we tell is my husband and I, when we were flying in, we look, right? You fly into the airport and you see the water. And yeah. you see the trees, and then my husband leans over and just said, "Don't screw this up." Oh man, oh. that was well, our first interview. Just here, visually yeah. for him, he felt something flying in. My husband's a water and woods guy. Grew up in the Everglades, or what were the Everglades? Um, later turned into Coral Springs and you know Fort Lauderdale mess down there. Yeah. So he was woods and water all the way, and wow. he saw that, and he was home. You have a bachelor's degree in mass communication mm-hmm. from Miami of Ohio. Where you graduated cum laude. Go Redhawks. Nice. And this is a school that's in Ohio yep, for people Southern who are Ohio. confused. That's right. I, I still, I, we should clarify that. We were a university before Florida was a state. It's one of the older universities in the country. 18-something. And that seems like a great school in general for what you do because there's research components and things like that. But mass communication, what was your initial career goal? And does the skill set that you learned there apply to what you do now? I had no career goal, I don't think. I didn't I changed my major nine times. <laughs> okay. I wound up in mass communications because I didn't know what I wanted to do, really. And I had accumulated so many credits. I think it was by then my junior year, and they were like, dude, you gotta declare. <laughs> so I had a major in mass communications, a minor in environmental studies, and then almost got my film minor, one credit short. Oh. I know. Is that something you ever want to go back to and get, just so you have another thing? No, I just like my Netflix now. Okay. So, <laughs> Well, mass communication, that seems like a good catch-all. Mass it, communication, let's right? do that. Yeah. I thought I was going to go into the science field and kind of save the world by explaining science to all of us. Just dumb it down so people like me could understand what we could be doing better to live better, healthier. Um, we really gonna... needed you last year. <laughs> Well, I was more on the climate side and the wildlife. 
And I went to uh, Washington, D.C. between my junior and senior year and lobbied because I thought, oh, I'll... and then I didn't like that. Yeah. Well, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. You, you said before we started that you know nothing about science, but you hold a Master of Science degree for which the Latin is Magisteri Scientiae. Wow. It sounds like a Harry Potter spell, I guess. It does. Do you ever use the Latin? Because that sounds really rad. I never. Okay. My husband would be very disappointed, the science teacher that he is. <laughs> yeah, that was from the University of Florida. And that kind of seemed to indicate a redirection to your passion now. So I what brought you I was told to there? go get field work. Like, go get my boots muddy. I went to World Wildlife Fund and I wanted to work there in D.C. and do, you know, kind of, again, change the world. And they said, go learn about the world get dirty, get humbled, and then you can come back and you can try to tell other people what to do. Who gave you that advice? He was uh, one of the directors at World Wildlife Fund. He's gone on to work at the National Park Foundation, do all kinds of things. But he was like a mentor that I really appreciated, was like, go, do and work and sweat and toil and get real. Before so you know you. what to mm-hmm. change, what to focus on. And what people are fighting for and why they're fighting maybe against each other. Like, go understand both sides. So I worked in the Everglades for two years. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's real. That's messy stuff. That's really in it. It was and really dangerous? in it. Was it dangerous? No. No? No. I mean, I could have gotten smushed by a sugar truck, but that's about it. <laughs> What a way to go. <laughs> so there wasn't like the, the python problem out there yet? There, no, nah, the python wasn't that bad. There were a lot of snakes, lots of snakes. It was hot and it was hard work and you don't get paid much. But I loved it because there were lots of snakes and I did alligator and crocodile work. This points to your toughness because you said not dangerous. You've said alligators, snakes, <laughs> chronic heat, sugar truck mashing. <laughs> I think you're underselling this a little bit. No, it was a lot of field work. It was a lot of research. I did get to see kind of all cross sections of South Florida and see how everybody was interacting or playing well together or not playing well together. Everglades, you know, was a, it's kind of a hot mess yeah. uh, down there. Um, and I just really enjoyed the complications that it introduced. It wasn't black and white, you know. Farms weren't good or bad, and wildlife biologists, not good, not bad. It was just a really good eye-opening experience on what we do to the earth that we live on and why we do it and understanding, I think, all the different perspectives. Right. Well, that's interesting because in looking at your trajectory, I was wondering, and I think you answered the question, if you ever thought about going into teaching or going into academia, but it sounds like did this field work, that mentor take you off that path for sure and assure that you would always be in the field as it were? You know, I teaching, no, I, I don't have, I know what a good teacher looks like. I'm married to one and I'm not that. <laughs> I don't have patience for that. I don't have that. It's a gift. I really do think the good ones have a gift. Uh, I don't have it. Academia, I ended up doing my master's degree at Florida And what I loved about it was I love research. I love finding out, like, why about things and, you know, what makes things and people tick and why the whys. I love the whys. And my team at Tarte make fun of me. They have really funny little marks for me. Some of them are very inappropriate and I won't share out loud. (laughs) But I'm a data nerd and you can't give me too much information. Sometimes they want to kill me because I ask for so much information before I want to make a decision or why they made a decision. I want to know all the whys. But the data part was cool, but what I, again, found working in academia, we wrote a lot of plans and we worked with a lot of communities. 
is the, you know, universities would come in with these great ideas and great plans, but oh my God, not executing on that stuff when it was created in a university lab, so to speak, like that was tough. Right. I didn't, ah, I wanted to see the change on the ground and work with the communities. And, you know, you do university research, you leave a paper or plan and you walk away. Yeah. Well, I feel like anything that has an environmental impact, that's a good trait to have is over analysis. Yeah, right. And it has an impact on people too. Yeah. Right. It does. So the TART essentially, if I have this right, formed in 1998, 1999. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what made it come together was kind of interesting because there are different associations, organizations, maybe even ownership stakes in that. Yeah. Has that changed at all? Is that structure, what's the back of the house look like now? Or is it the same as it was back then? No, it's very different now. So even the board makeup was different when the four groups formed. So they were four separate trail organizations and they were really all doing their own thing. And what TART kind of asked them all to do is, hey, figure out your priorities and figure out how to work together. And then we all have a common goal. Let's try to work for the common goal, which means sometimes people had to wait or compromise. And so even when the board was put together, it was like representatives from the Leelanau Trail, the Tart Trail, the Vasa, and the Boardman. And that was the board. Mm-hmm. Those distinctions are no longer there. Now, my founders are all still around. So the women and men, not all, we lost like Ted Okerstrom and a couple others along the way. But the founders are, are mostly still there and still super passionate about the trails that they helped form. Wow. And I... I just have a huge amount of respect and debt of gratitude to all of them that gave because right that was voluntary blood, sweat, and tears that they put into it and the, their life to bring these trails to fruition. Like Tim Brick is one of the founders of the Tart Trail, and he's still living it and breathing it every day. Dave Monstre, one of the founders of the Leelanau Trail, actually hosts a stop and is still to this day working every Tuesday and Thursday on the trail. I mean, they don't ever go away, give up, and their expectations are so high. Like to try to meet them is a yeah. is a constant goal for us. It's amazing that you were able to integrate and create a unified system. I feel like that's rare that you're able to do something like that. I think it's all those guys and gals in the beginning who were really able to put away their egos. and That's where um, I was going. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So when you arrived and you became more immersed in your position, was there anything right away that concerned you or opportunities that stood out like immediately? Yeah. One of the first weeks I was uh, sat down by Gene Dorenzi and Chuck Korn. Anyway, I was sat down with the city and the township and Gene Dorenzi called us all together and said, there's this thing you need to know about and that's the Boardman Lake Trail and we need to get this done. That was one of my first weeks on the job. So yeah, there was an opportunity wow. right there. Right there. Right when we, and look, that was eleven years ago, and we're just about to. So the recording of this podcast <laughs> is quite poignant because there's a lot of news about you and what you're doing, and I think positive news, which is pretty great. The U, I'm going to just be clear here. The U is tart. The U is there's tart. no Julie. It's the U is tart. Just to be Very super clear. Selfless. Well, to that point. And you look at the historic development of TART, when you arrived, there was a lot of activity pretty quickly and a lot of progress. So how do you look back on that initial first few years? Oh, golly, yeah. I mean, I think we got 40 miles of trail on the ground my first five years. 
So it was an accelerated pace that is a little bit mind-numbing today. So Sleeping Bear Heritage Trail, that was an opportunity just right there, ready to go. We had no idea it was going to go. Leelanau Trail, a grant came in. I mean, we had to raise massive amounts of money, which I'd never done before because I was government, so I had tax dollars. Right. <laughs> it was very different. Um, you have to be very, very careful with both private or tax. Those are, to me, just as precious as private donors, but to raise private dollars right. was a new ballgame. Well, we, we talk about that a lot on the podcast with nonprofits and how that's a misnomer and how grant money and how you know tenuous that can be. Can you talk a little bit to that, your experience with that? Because I think there's a misnomer out there about how, oh, they have all this money and people donate, and it's not really the case. It's fun. My mom was asking me that just this weekend. She was like, well, how do you pay your staff? And I said, well, we raise the money every year because we are 93% supported by private dollars. So those are individuals or foundations like Rotary or Olson that help support our work. And it's an annual lift. So we don't really get federal grants. In the trail world, most of the construction money comes to our state and federal and local agencies, so road commissions or cities. Sure. So that's where, you know, if, for example, the Boardman Lake Trail is going to be a $6 million project, let's say, most of that is coming from local sources, whether that's Brownfield or state funds. So we help write all those grants most times to get that public funding in. So that's what TART staff is doing right. or hiring out. And then, for example, with the Boardman, you know, we raised over a million in addition to that money to partner with our public. So it really is a true public-private partnership right. to bring these trails to fruition, which is different than when I was in North Carolina. When I was in North Carolina, it was all public. It was right. 100% like taxpayer-funded. It was a flip when I got here. Not quite set up the same way. So I had to learn a lot here. Right. And um, you knew that going in. It was just you knew that you had to learn. I knew I had to learn. That's what I knew. Yeah. I knew I had worked on some nonprofit boards. I'd seen what dysfunctional nonprofits look like. I'd never seen a functional one. So TART was pretty great because we were pretty functional. Yeah. Bob Otwell did an amazing job sort of laying a foundation there that we could work from. Well, I mean, you know, you had that initial night out, you know, with some drinks and you <laughs> created your shorthand. Do you remember what you had? Did you I, go conservative? Just I like... did. I think I had a glass of like red wine. There we um, go. They did not know my love of bourbon then, so which is probably good. <laughs> and you mentioned staff. So you currently mm -hmm. have 10 official staff members about? Yeah, yeah, about. So when you look at somebody joining your team, what qualities does somebody have to possess to be on your team? What is something that if they don't have it, it's a deal breaker? Mm, they have to love the mission of Tart. They have to. They just have to groove on helping people get their find their way around on foot and on their bikes. So that's and number how, one. how do you find that out? I mean, it's easy for somebody to say, oh, I've got passion for this. Is it just you have a feeling, it's instinct, or is there something they can do or demonstrate? Show up for the interview on a bike, for example, like you showed up to this <laughs> this recording, which is real on brand. How do they demonstrate that? You know, I try to make sure that I'm being real open-minded, but I think one of the ways that has been demonstrated is they volunteer with us. Almost everybody on my staff has been involved with trails in one way or another, so they've given their time or talents. One of my board members ended up being a staff. That was 
weird because it's like you're hiring your boss. So, but it was great. It was an amazing fit. So for me, you know it, it's not too hard to dig into that authenticity, you know, like you can talk a good game, but we have a really pretty in-depth hiring process. And I always bring in outside and board members help and staff, all my staff meet everybody anytime we hire. So is it a similar process to you? Do you put them in a big room and surround them in a circle and intimidate them for two days? (laughs) (laughs) See if they got the grit? No, but we ask them some good questions, I think. That's excellent. Well, you mentioned the board. Is the board 100% volunteer based? Mm -hmm. Yep. And what are the terms and how diverse is the current board? And furthermore, how important is it to have a diverse board for TART? Well, like I said at the beginning, I took this job because of the board. I thought, oh, man, if I get to work with people like this, like these are the kind of people leading our organization, ah, I'm in. And the board, I was terrified the kind of first board transition that we had. We have three-year terms. Some board members serve maybe two terms. We don't actually have term limits. Something we've talked about but never really done because it's been a very fluid evolution on the board. And anyway, that's a podcast for a different podcast. (laughs) Check out your board podcast. (laughs) Dish on your board. Good board governance. (laughs) So I love my board. I trust them implicitly to give me and staff some sound direction and guidance. I love how enthusiastic they get. We do have a pretty diverse board, both in age and backgrounds. And I'm excited that we have a little bit more representation in, you know, kind of who is around the region. So we do have older, younger, male, female, just different, you know, kind of races and religions on there. And I'm really excited about them. When you said, I love how enthusiastic they get, sometimes that's a euphemism for like a real pain. (laughs) But you said it, ladies and gentlemen, it was very sincere. She meant enthusiastic, not the other thing. But you've also mentioned, and and you opened doors for a lot of good questions, but you mentioned volunteers. Mm -hmm. And you count on a lot of volunteers. Now, what has the last year and a half done to your volunteer pool? And... Are you struggling now or did you through all the COVID and everything like that? Well, uh, again, the volunteers we have, so we have 121, they're called ambassadors. They're our frontline kind of folks who are out there all the time working for the trails. Uh, one of that ambassador crew is called the Leelanau Trail Crew. And those are their guys. They're a group of guys who are out every Tuesday and Thursday who maintain that trail. They're the ones that you see clearing brush or repairing the asphalt. We actually own that Leelanau Trail between Traverse City and Sutton's Bay. So right. it's our responsibility. They were out there all during the pandemic. So they were deemed essential workers because the influx of people that we saw on the trails They were out there making sure that those trails were safe and operational so that we could all get out and stay active and healthy. And what we saw was we did have to put a pause on kind of a lot of our volunteer opportunities. Um, Typically, you know, volunteers come in in many different forms, but one of the factors I think that draws them is that ability to meet others or to socialize and have that, you know, sense of community. And that was really hard to do during COVID. So we tried to either send out households or individuals so that they could still go to work. But we did have to put a pause. You know, we followed the governor's orders pretty much to the T to make sure we were keeping people safe. And now volunteers are back with a vengeance. They're coming in new and all, you know, all the folks that used to work with us are right back in. And the minute we opened 
you know, the gates back open, so to speak, they were there. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're doing everything. They did the big transformation plantings. So we have artwork going in on the tart. They're doing that. Really? Where is that going to be? That's going to be right near TBA ISD and the Cherry Capital Airport. That's part of a, we redid, and this is another thing I love working with tart on, is it takes all of us to take care of our communities. And so like the tart transformation is a partnership between the city of Traverse City, Grand Traverse County, East Bay Township, Cherry Capital Airport, and then, you know, volunteers, very specific, mm-hmm. like helping bring in landscaping. We have a new uh, piece of art that's going in there. So it'll be a metallic structure. So it's like a very bench cool. seating. And we widened that trail. So it was like an eight foot wide. That was the original trail. That trail right uh, between Woodmere and Three Mile was one of the first stretches of the tart built in 19... 19- Oh, John Robert Williams is going to kill me because I don't remember my dates. I don't know my kids' birthdays, so how am I going to remember anything? 1990, uh, let's say 95. All right. Nobody's going to refute you in this room. <laughs> 1995, everybody. Or, that was the wait, first it was section. 30 years ago. So somebody do the math. 1990. That would have been 91. 91. Thank yeah. you, Mark. <laughs> you know, there's a winner. I'm not the math. We, we got there together as a team. There we that go. That felt good. See? All about collaboration. That's what I'm saying. Well, how many miles do you have now, and what's the vision for the next five years? Are you looking at it like that? We do. Um, we Yeah, so 100 miles, thereabouts, of trail on the ground today that we are involved with in one shape or another. In the next 20, we'd like to double that, so another 100 miles. Wow. In this next year alone, we have about five miles that'll go on the ground, so that's pretty exciting. And then, you know, the, there's some big ones out there, like the Nequema Trailway that connects up to Charlevoix and Acme. That's going to be 40 plus, 46 plus miles. Gosh, it's exciting. Yeah. So is there an aspect of your job that would be surprising for a lay person to hear? Is there anything about your day-to-day that would be like, wow, she has to do that, or that's interesting? My day-to-day, I think people think I'm on the trails a lot more. It's not surprising or interesting. It's sort of sad. Like, I'm okay. in a lot What's of meetings. What's sad about your job? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to frame it that way, but here we are. Well, you know, I'm a half-glass empty gal. Um, <laughs> no, I think people do think like we're on. I'm on the trail all yeah. the time. And mostly I'm in meetings to try to get more trail on the ground or kind of get all the cats together. I think... One of the more interesting parts. I'm trying to think, like, what is... Or surprising. Or you already knocked out sad. You know what it is, Ryan, is, like, sometimes the things that we're going to find very interesting and intriguing, she doesn't think about because... You find mundane. Yeah, because it's your day-to-day, and we have no idea It's a good point, you know, the idea that, you know, one of us could be biking on the tart trail, and you're just sitting there, you know, with weather experimentation, you know... (laughs) Trying to gauge, you know, gradients and stuff. Dipping our, yeah. You know, How like, thick Hi, is that asphalt? There's Julie. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, the, the reality is there's a lot of administration. There's mm-hmm. a lot of advocacy. Oof. Advocacy. You got it. Don't edit that out. I'm, I'm, I'm human. I'm frail. <laughs> and, you know, you need to, again, connect a lot of pieces. Mm-hmm. Aside from a staff that you have and volunteers that you need to motivate and maintain. Mm-hmm. And new artwork that you need to facilitate and all of that. Yeah, I love that I have somebody on my staff who knows all about art because we had a program that sat there and then Caitlin came and now we have art on the tart and it's awesome. Okay, is that a coin term? It, art on the tart? Art on the tart. It is a program. It can't we... be the first time it was said. No, no. 
it's yeah, it's a real thing, and you will see it at Tenth Street Trailhead. You will see it by TBA ISD. You will see it. Well, you'll see it at the Time to Let Go statue that's there. I'm at the still open thrilled space. with the planets. Oh, the planets are awesome. Yeah, that's a physics teacher from the area that did oh my all gosh. that. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Mr. Kirby, how much of Tart's annual success has been based on events that you hold? And did COVID affect those, or were you lessened because you're outdoor? I mean, because there were less restrictions outdoor, but were you affected by that yeah, as well? Yeah, we got hit. Uh, so events don't make up a large part of our revenue stream, which is is good um, because events are always you know kind of hit and miss depending mm-hmm. on weather because we are an outside organization. So that part certainly. Again, we followed the Gov's orders, and she said, don't, so we didn't. Uh, So we didn't have our normal events. Again, record use of trails out there, which is awesome. But we didn't pull people together. So it's really nice. Like this week, tomorrow is the end of Smart Commute Week. And that was just been, I think we're, I don't remember what year we're in. If we're in 28 or 30, Bob Otwell will kill me on that one, too. This is a perilous podcast for you. Oh, it is. The numbers. The numbers are not my friends. Um, (laughs) But it's been a tradition before TART was started to have Smart Commute Week. And to miss that last year, like the camaraderie and the community building that occurs in these events was a bummer. But you, you do things, you know, like this is, it was serious. So we took it seriously. And yeah. this year we're back. We're safe. It's great. But like Spark Commute, we were having record numbers attend, again, in a really comfortable way. Tour de Tarte will be back this year. So we definitely took a hit, but it was a purposeful hit that right. we took. So. Well, and you mentioned the governor. Does your position take you to Lansing very often? Is there any kind of that kind of advocacy? Okay, there are some good things about COVID, and one of them is Zoom meetings. So, yeah, I used to have to go to Lansing. My kids hated it. I don't know, twice a month or so. Really? Um, mm-hmm. I serve on a couple state boards. One is for trails, Michigan Trails and Greenways Alliance. So that's the statewide trail organization. So I'm the board president for that. And then I serve on the Michigan State Parks Advisory Committee, which today was big news for state parks. There was a $250 million COVID allocation that the governor has proposed Excellent. for um, state parks and trails maintenance to really bring everybody up. And how, how is that an amount that's significantly impactful? Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you, you, it sometimes can be relative and you think, is that impactful? That sounds like it is. It is impactful. I think the, the guesstimated budget on that backlog of maintenance was mm, anywhere from 250 to 300 million. So getting 250 million, that wipes a pretty clean slate. Now, wow. maintenance is maintenance, so it's ongoing. Sure. But yeah, that was a huge, huge that's proposal. Phenomenal. Yeah, that's good news. I had read in an article that rightly calls you the woman who built Traverse City's recreational trails. Not rightly. No. Oh, I did this not is, like that. This is just I my do. opinion. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, because your humility is, is 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 clear, the listeners can get. But in this article, you confess to being, quote, the worst person to walk with. Do you still maintain and support that statement? I think so. Mark, maybe, can attest. I like, we weren't on a trail, so I wasn't quite as like, the the, the new sidewalk project through the neighborhood here. We, we had a walking meeting recently when we discussed having her on the podcast and a few <laughs> other common interests. I don't think 
I was too. Sometimes I get frothy and really. Uh, you get me walking with like Gary Howe and Tim Warner, and oof, watch out, we we steamroll, <laughs> and it's not pretty. So does oh. this enthusiasm, as you put it, <laughs> preclude you from enjoying? What you are building and sustaining, or can you turn it off sometimes? No, I can never turn it off, but I don't, it doesn't preclude me from enjoying it. It may preclude all the others around me. And I know my staff is always like, oh God, she's been on the trails because I just email or text like, you need to go look at this. Um, But no, because all you're doing when when I see this stuff is think of ways to do things better or what we could do next time, you know, or, oh, look at this. Like, no, it's energizing. So what about when you visit similar trails other places? Are you just like, these guys are doing it wrong. Oh, my God. Can you enjoy it then and maybe laugh at how bad they're doing it compared to Tart? Oh, you know, I am that awful kind of person who is very critical of – me? I'm getting what you're laying down, yeah, but I don't so know if I it's think totally it's... justified. Just again, <laughs> our podcast opinion. Well, I tend to then see the, only the mostly the positives of other places. So yeah. what I pick up is, oh my gosh, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to do that. Did you see that? So, and my husband's way worse. We have pictures of him like lying in bike lanes and oh, what's that? Oh my God, what's that place in? in california silicon valley and he had like he's lying across and he's he's (laughs) smashing himself in the middle of a bike lane he's like look how wide these bike lanes are and it was a bad thing so (laughs) things are can be learned from from you wouldn't call them competitors right you just call them colleagues other places other places counterparts counterparts oh that's a good one mark that is a good one so finally it, it may be a little personal but tend to overshare. You know, <laughs> I need to know. And you you mentioned bourbon, but do you still ride a tandem bike with your husband Bill? And can you still win the occasional tequila competition? <laughs> oh my gosh! How did you know about the tequila competition? I'm just asking a question that may have been. I don't know where it came from, but do you still ride a tandem bike with your husband? And can you still oh. win the occasional tequila competition? Okay, I still ride a bike with my husband and. I am not too proud to say he was right. I will say it out loud for the world to hear. He was right. And once we learned how to communicate, and it's very good therapy, it's marriage therapy, because you can be mad as all get out with your spouse or your partner, but you have to talk on that thing. Otherwise, you both fall and it's no fun. So you, he, oh. was, he was right. We do ride it. And now I can't go down hills. I kind of got... Um, I don't like speed. I can't, staff again will tell you that I don't do speed downhill well. So right. tandem, I just close my eyes and I let him go. And it's pretty amazing. Wow. That's a little butch and Sundance. You got raindrops keep falling on my head. We do and you're trying to find sometimes. Zen. Do you really? Oh my God. Yeah. It's wow. And uh, tequila? No. Have you stopped uh, competing in the uh, professional tequila circuit? I am now a lightweight. <laughs> I, I'm sad that those days are behind me. My roommate who had to pick me up after that one that I won and got the t-shirt for, she would argue that perhaps I don't remember my skills as well right. as I think I did. <laughs> well, you're cultivating your professional persona as well at the time. It's well, now balance. I enjoy it, though. You That's know, true. like I don't need to win. I win <laughs> by being able to pick out the better tequila instead of the well stuff. Right. Like I can tell the You've difference between well. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, how can listeners support TART? I mean, we talked about volunteers. What, yeah. what are the other ways? Oh, there's so many ways to support TART. One is absolutely volunteer. Go to the website. Learn all about us. Clearly, we'd love you to donate. That's awesome. But most importantly, like use your voices. To support TART is awesome, but let's support our community in walkable, bikeable places. So speak up at your community, whether you live in a township or the city. Let your elected official know what you like and what you don't like. They love to hear what you like because nobody ever shares that part. Let them know when they're doing a good job. When that new sidewalk comes in that that just zigged around that tree, or maybe it was just a zag just because. Is there a distinction between a zig and a zag? You're a professional. Can you... (laughs) Put this to rest because I've never known. I think I was zigging and maybe I was zagging. Yeah, all I know is I've zigged when I was supposed to zag. Mm, oh, well, yeah. so you know when you do it wrong? Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> well, the website is uh, traversetrails.org. 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 Mm-hmm. And you can donate directly. There's, is there oh, a button? Of course you can. A very big button that says There's donate. There's a big button. Yeah. And you can learn about the tar trails. You can find the trail that may best suit you. Yeah. I don't think there's any bad. It's flat and it's convenient and it's beautiful. I moved here from Chicago where biking and walking could be a danger at any time. So having sport there, among other things, what you have is so amazing. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I will say that our vision is that every home is a trailhead. That's what we want to get to. And that's, I mean, that's really all of us um, that'll need to work together to do that. But we want you to be able to go out your door safely walk or bike to get anywhere you want to go. So that's Easily accessible. Easily accessible, safe, free, comfortable, convenient. That's amazing. Not like you've ever said that before. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Julie, thank you so much for your pursuits and to all those who pursue along with you, sustaining and expanding the amazing Travers Area recreational trails and allowing all of us to experience it and love it just as much as you do. Probably not even close to as much as you do. But thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And to you, our listeners, thank you so much for listening and thank you for pursuing the positive. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us again on the Pursuit of Podcast. Big thanks to our guest, Julie Clark, for joining us from TART. That's Travers Area Recreational and Transportation Trails. can be found at traverstrails.org. For those not from northern Michigan, the word is also traversetrails.org. And a big shout out to our supporters at the Tin Lid Hat Company tinlidco.com use promo code the pursuit of for 40% off to our listeners and for audio visual inquiries podcasting check out newleonard.com